Atrial fibrillation is a disorder that causes the heart's two upper chambers to beat at a much faster rate than normal. This very rapid heartbeat leaves patients short of breath, dizzy, fatigued, and of course, very frightened. Can atrial fibrillation be cured with a minimally invasive procedure? You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. James Slater, Attending Surgeon in the Department of Cardiovascular Medicine at Morristown Memorial Hospital and Overlook Hospital, and in private practice at Mid-Atlantic Surgical Associates in Morristown, New Jersey. Welcome, Dr. Slater. Thank you, Mark. Today we are discussing a minimally invasive procedure to cure atrial fibrillation, the mini-maze procedure. Dr. Slater, review with us, what is atrial fibrillation? Atrial fibrillation is an abnormal rhythm that initiates in the upper chambers of the heart. There's a picture that I show my patients when discussing this that pictures the sinus node as a lighthouse. The sinus node is at the upper chambers of the heart, and it sends out a signal that spreads across the upper chambers to a relay station referred to as the AV node. The AV node then picks up that signal and spreads it along the lower chambers or the beating chambers of the heart, and that is the normal situation. In atrial fibrillation, putting between the upper lighthouse and the lower relay station are all sorts of flash bulbs going off. These are irregular stimuli that are thrown out from the upper chambers of the heart. This confuses the relay station, the AV node, and it doesn't know whether it should be responding to the real signal or these other accessory signals. And as a result, it begins to respond to some and not to others, and the heart rate becomes both rapid and irregular. Isn't this something that is relatively easily controlled on medications? It can be controlled on medications in terms of controlling the rate. However, it's very difficult to control in medications in terms of controlling the rhythm. That is, patients will remain in atrial fibrillation, but their heart rates will be kept at an acceptable level in the 70s, 80s, or 90 beats per minute. However, they still will be in atrial fibrillation. And review with us, why is that bad? We don't know if it's bad or good. The thinking was first, in early treatments for atrial fibrillation, we're trying to control the rhythm, sending atrial fibrillation back into the normal sinus rhythm. However, those strategies were destined to fail. Later, we switched, based on studies that were done, we switched our thinking to think that only rate control would be important. However, studies show that Long periods of atrial fibrillation are bad for patients in many ways, including increasing mortality rates. So what exactly is this mini-maze surgical procedure? The mini-maze surgical procedure basis is based on a procedure that was developed by Dr. James Cox in the 1980s that he called the maze procedure. Maze just as in a rat would pass through a maze to find cheese in a laboratory. And what he did was to make various cuts and incisions on the upper chambers of the heart which blocked all of the known foci of atrial fibrillation. That is, these signals would still be sent out, but because they'd run into an incision line, they'd be blocked. This was analogous to taking off an orange peel in one piece and then putting it all back together again. It's a highly successful operation, but it's a maximally invasive operation that was technically difficult to do and full of complications and therefore was never widely applied. 
Dr. Cox's tremendous idea was caught up to by technology that allow, now allows us to make scars on the heart rather than incisions on the heart that basically provide the same maze or the same blocking mechanism for these inappropriate triggers to atrial fibrillation. How do you make the scars on the heart? There are various technologies available. All of them use some kind of any energy source, radio frequency, ultrasound, cryo, different manufacturers push different mechanisms, but they all have the same common pathway of creating a scar on the, on the heart that will block electrical transmission. And how could you focus it to exactly the right point? The instrument that I have the most experience with is a radio frequency instrument that's bipolar. So one puts a clamp across the area that you want to block, you close the clamp, and then the bipolar mechanism takes over, and a burn mark is created between the two electrodes on either ed edge of the clamp. And you know specifically that this is the site of the electrical conduction for the atrial fibrillation? It turns out that work done in France by a doctor by the name of Hassegir identifies the orify of the pulmonary veins as 99% being involved as the triggers of atrial fibrillation. So that if one blocks on the left atrium beyond the confluence of these veins, one blocks about 90 to 99% of the triggers for atrial fibrillation. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and we are speaking with Dr. James Slater, a cardiac surgeon from Mid-Atlantic Surgical Associates in Morristown, New Jersey. Today we are discussing the mini-maze procedure to cure atrial fibrillation. Dr. Slater, you spoke about the bipolar mechanism for accurately placing your scar to treat the atrial fibrillation. We all know that when we injure blood vessels, that they have a tendency upon healing to recanalize. Do the electrical pathways in the heart, after being injured by the scar, so to speak, recanalize and reform? Mark, that's a great question, and the answer is we don't know yet. Uh, this procedure is a relatively new procedure, so we, we are not yet confident in its durability. In fact, some of these patients may heal these scars at some point out from the operation, and they may be able to transmit electricity off of them. In Morristown, we pair our program with the electrophysiologists, which are the cardiologists who practice this same type of procedure, but from the inside. And we have found that by pairing with electrophysiologists, any shortcomings that our operation might have are easily picked up by the procedures that they have, and they pair together very well. Well, the cardiac electrophysiologists who do this from the inside, so to speak, are their results suboptimal that requires your doing this in this way? Well, the electrophysiologists have found that it's very difficult to create pulmonary vein isolation. Not that it's not doable, but it's done blindly with catheters percutaneously or placed through the skin and a lot of second-degree or secondary mapping to figure out where the triggers are and to figure out where the pulmonary veins are. As surgeons, we easily can identify anatomically where the pulmonary veins are and apply our clamp across the left atrium just after the veins join. That is a relatively easy process for us to do. When you say minimally invasive, take us through this. 
The operation is done as two mini operations, really, one on one side and one on the other. It requires a three-finger breath incision on the right chest. That's what would begin just below the breast, or what we would call the fourth interspace between the third and fourth ribs. That's our main incision, and most of the work is done through there. We make several smaller incisions to place scopes and other uh, instruments that help us to manipulate the dissection on the inside. So that's the extent of the incision. We're able to slide our uh, device in through that smaller incision. We're able to get around the pulmonary veins and create the burn mark. Once we've completed that, we test it along with our electrophysiologist to make sure that there is no transmission of electricity across that burn line. And then we remove all our instruments, close all our incisions, turn the patient over and repeat the same procedure on the left side. The only difference on the left-sided procedure is we also remove the left atrial appendage. Why do you remove the left atrial appendage? One of the risks of atrial fibrillation is um, stroke. And the reason that strokes happen in atrial fibrillation is the blood is passing through the upper chambers of the heart, it can slow down. And the place that it's going to be the slowest is at the left atrial appendage, which is a blind cul-de-sac. The clot can form in that cul-de-sac, and then as the, if the heart regains a normal rhythm, that clot can be pushed out into the bloodstream, travel to the head, and cause a stroke. To keep that from happening, one can remove the left atrial appendage. The left atrial appendage is also identified as one of the triggers for um, atrial fibrillation. So you're really getting two goals in one by removing the appendage. Now, will these patients on the table go into sinus rhythm after your ablation? Typically. How do you test that your scar to block the electrical impulses actually is successful other than the patient clinically being in sinus rhythm? The goal of the device is to create a transmural scar. There is a feedback mechanism within the device based on the bioengineering of it that allows the device to take feedback to know when there is no longer any integrity of the tissue. And an actual level will read that out to you. Now, although you're using a bipolar device, do you have problems with the immediate effects of edema from the injured area of the heart? We haven't as of yet. And how do patients do from this procedure? They tolerate the procedure very well. It's not a particularly long procedure, nor is it a particularly invasive procedure. Um, whenever one makes incisions on the rib cage, there's some degree of discomfort. We use various mechanisms to control that pain, including something called a uh, pain pump, which can deliver uh, local anesthetic directly into the patient's wound for the several days after surgery. How long has this procedure been in existence? It's been gaining popularity uh, since about 2000. It was first applied as a concomitant procedure to other operations on the heart for patients who had atrial fibrillation and may need coronary artery bypass grafting or mitral valve repair or any of the number of other operations that we do. It has only more recently been applied to patients who only have atrial fibrillation. And what have your results shown thus far? So far, the results are very good. Success rates range anywhere from 80 to 95% in various centers. Now, asking the other side of the question, have you had any problems with this? We haven't had any major complications, but they're certainly there. All of the blood vessels that you're working around carry the body's full cardiac output. And so whenever you're doing surgery in those areas, there's bound to be complications of bleeding. Anytime you cut the skin or bone, you run the risk of developing an infection, although we haven't seen one yet. You're dissecting very close to the phrenic nerve, and you can have stunning or injury to the phrenic nerve. Do you ever run into problems where they're 
SA node is bradycardic from this procedure, and they actually have to require a pacemaker to keep their heart rate up? Yes, we do. But really what we're doing is uncovering SA node dysfunction. Many patients who have atrial fibrillation, that that lighthouse that I mentioned up front has long since gone out. It's just not known because the patient is in AFib. Once you block the AFib, they may not have a sinus mechanism left, and they would require a pacemaker. But even that is advantageous because it's a more regular rhythm. If you would venture to look into a crystal ball, is this going to be the new gold standard for treatment of atrial fibrillation? I think that medical therapy for atrial fibrillation over many years has been very disappointing. The prevalence of atrial fibrillation across the population is in the multiple of millions. So I can't help but seeing that this operation is going to be more popular in the future. I want to thank Dr. James Slater, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the mini-maze procedure to cure atrial fibrillation. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.